We want to welcome in those uh, that are joining us from the center. And if, uh, pardon me if I'm a little excited today. Man, it's been a month since I've been able to share with you on Sunday morning. So I'm so thankful for Pastor Mike Britton. Man, three weeks ago, he knocked it out of the park. Jared Gann, uh, another Grand Slam. Pastor Kevin, man, I, how do you hit two Grand Slams? And so I'm so, so thankful for those uh, three guys and those men and their ministries and what they mean to us and our church and also to us as we are preparing for revival. Years since Oakland Heights Baptist Church has had a revival. Years. And I'm excited about that. I hope you are as equally as excited about the coming of the end of February as we launch the Ignite Revival. And as we do, you know, it brings up a great question. What is revival? You know, I mean, what is revival? If you have a little opportunity in between the NFL playoff games, which I don't watch any of that pro football stuff, but I'm sure some of you are into that, and you Google what is revival, you will get an asundry of pages. List three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven items long. Everybody has an opinion about what revival is, how it's defined. As we stop to think about that for just a moment today, I sense that even in our terminology, we use revival in so many different ways. For instance, we get to the end of February and someone may call you on a Saturday night that we're kicking off the revival and just before you walk out the door and they say, hey, Miss Gail, how you doing? Well, good, but I don't have long to talk. I, I'm going to a revival meeting. Well, just by that response, I guess in some people's mind, the way we would define that would be, it's a meeting. It's a specified time. It's a place. And we go to that place at that time in order to have a revival. And I guess that's certainly one way to define that. I hear others, for instance, they'll be talking and they'll say, oh, wow, we, man, we, our church is just on fire. There's great things happening. In fact, they, they go on and they describe it this way. They, uh, they say, you, you know, we, we had a revival. And then, they, and then they follow up by making a statement, something like this. And man, we didn't just have a revival. Revival broke out. I've heard a number of times through my lifetime, someone said, revival broke out in Longview. You remember a few years ago? Well, it's been many years ago now, out here in Brownwood, Texas. Revival broke out. And it broke out in the college out there and the, the whole West Texas area. People began to drive in. The revival was extended two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And all those people in West Texas, people in the newspapers, revival broke out. And when I hear those kind of remarks and those kind of phrases, hey, that makes me kind of draw back and say, hey, someone is defining revival as more of an experience. Something happened. People experienced something. It wasn't so much a place, a revival meeting. It wasn't so much a time, but it was something that happened with people. They experienced something. 
And so today, I'm just going to take you to two very familiar places. Aren't we fortunate in the Word of God to have a number of places that you and I can turn to in the text of God's protected Holy Word, and we can know exactly with clear guidance what it is when someone has an encounter with God and is revived. Now, I want us, first of all, to turn over there to Second Chronicles. We typically hear this around Fourth of July weekend. This is a verse that so often I, I've heard people share. Uh, many times on this platform, I've, I've seen it and, and heard it shared. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14. But so often we share this in connection with independence in our nation. But what's so very important, and more than likely Ezra writing these words pin some words here that may can help us today as you and I spend just a moment as we start to really hone in on what real revival is. Next week, Dr. Frizzell will bring us even a step further than I'm going to be able to take us today. Looking forward to him, him being here and sharing God's word with us. But today, let's just start from the instruction side. Jot that down on your outline. Let's read these verses, and I want to read them in the context of some instruction. How do we know, how do we really prepare for revival? Is that something we just kind of make a commitment to show up at the meeting and the experience just happens? Is it something that there's some deliberate activity on our part ahead of time that needs to take place? Is it spontaneous? Is there no way to prepare for revival? We just show up and either it happens or it doesn't. It's just a spontaneous combustible moment. Boop, man, we got revival. What is revival? And in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we have one of those verses that gives us some really clear directive and insight. I think it would do us well today to go back and refresh our memories. Here's what 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 says. The Word of God says, If, a big if here, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Do you, do you notice some connector words there? In the English language, the little, the little word and. It appears that these are carrying, we don't have, maybe they're listed in a particular order of priority. We're not given that. But there are strung together some exhortations here, some directives about revival. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will give from heaven, uh, uh, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. I think we look at that phrase and we're reminded if my people that are called by my name humble themselves and pray. As we begin to read those words, God reminds us of something very important. And jot this down. God reminds us that revival is focused on God's people. We need to understand that. It's not focused on a program. Although we're going to have a great structure of preparation Understand that's not the element of our true focus. Our true focus is on relationships that God has and that people have 
with God, that incredible relationship that exists in the hearts of men and women to God himself. And he, and he just reminds us of that. It's, it's about my people, my people, not programs. And then, and then did, did you notice here something very important that, that humility is called into place here? That really it's, 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 it's an element of humbling ourselves and surrendering ourselves. And let's jot down that surrender and humility are the, seem to be catalysts here that grant God access to take action. It's surrender and humility. These are the catalysts that grant God access to take action. And then when we couple that with prayer, that constant communication with God, we really begin, apparently, to see an open door to revival. Now notice this next phrase. He says, uh, they, they humble themselves, they pray, and they seek my face. I think just a reminder here that Real revival is what? Real revival is seeking God. Real revival is seeking God. Seeking what about God? Well, seeking his presence. We want him with us. Uh, tomorrow's a holiday, isn't it? I kind of forget about that. I'm not a huge holiday kind of guy. My wife reminded me this morning, hey, I don't have to go to work tomorrow. I said, hey, I do. Well, it would be cool if we hung out and watched Hallmark movies. Really, not cool for me. But you know, there's something about being in the presence of someone you love, isn't there? And just uh, throwing on the brakes and saying, you know what? I haven't been spending enough time with you. Seeking God. How do we seek him? Well, we seek him, number one, in his presence. We jot that down. We, we seek him in his presence. Seeking him. God, we want you to be here with us. We want to spend more time with you in an intentional way. It's all about, secondly, submitting to his authority. God, we seek you. We want to be with you. And we recognize your authority in our lives. You are the Savior. You're the King. You're the Creator. You're the Author. The, I mean, we could go on and on, couldn't we? He is God, enough said. And then that incredible concept that we approach God on his terms. And how does he tell us to do that? God says, hey, if you really want me to be responsive, you've got to humble yourselves. You've got to come to me in a relationship that you know exists, me as God, and you as follower. Not you as king. And me as some abiding sojourner that's there if you need me to pull you out of the ditch in case you have some kind of crisis or emergency. No, 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 no. I need you to come on my terms and I'll be there waiting for you. Josh Thomas and I had something kind of strange happen a few moments ago. Josh t t tells me, hey, when you use my name, it always makes me nervous. But uh, this uh, morning, uh, I asked Josh, I said, Josh, uh, I, I think I noticed a mistake on some of the printed materials, not necessarily on the printed materials, but what we're going to project. 
He said, okay, okay, what is it, man? His ears perked up. He gets excited about that. He's like a flea jumping around there. He said, what, what can I do? I'll go change it. I'll go fix it. I said, okay, all right. Let's just, let's just catch our breath. I said, on the projection, we've left out a very important blank. Because what was going to appear up here before he corrected it was just simply revival is seeking. There was no blank. Therefore, there was no blank, so there was no need to have a fill-in. But of all the fill-ins to leave out, the fill-in of God. (laughs) So Josh made one of the most and the greatest theological statements I've ever heard in my life. He said, you know, when you think about it, it's probably good to include God in the blank. You think? (laughs) And I ask you, wouldn't that really be a refreshing and a good thing for all of us to do? Whatever the challenges that we're facing right now, and boy, do we have a few. What if we just drew out the blank and said, God, we're going to put you in that blank in our lives. We're discouraged. We're lonely. We're separated. We're frightened. And so, God, all those needs, we're just going to humble ourselves before you surrender to you. And, God, I'll I'll tell you what we're going to do. In every one of those blanks and needs in our life, we're just going to fill you in as the answer in the blank. Wow. Wow. If my people, if they'll call on me, if they'll humble themselves, if they'll seek my face, and then, did you notice, and if they turn from their what? From their wicked ways. Now that word shub, S-H-U-B in the English language, the Hebrew word there, to turn away from, to turn in a different direction. And we see something very important. With these words, God now is calling for, and let's jot this down, that, that revival is spiritual and physical action. Now, I want you to get this. This is very important. Revival is spiritual and physical action. It's a process in which God is giving us a picture here. There's certain things he wants us to do. He wants us to act upon. That's an action verb in the Hebrew language. There's certain things that we're required to do. Physically. And it's interesting because this gives us a clear picture here that all of these are what? Prerequisites. You see, it's a pre- us taking action is a prerequisite to his intervention. So we start to get a picture here. We get a picture of just the instruction from God about what could lead us to true revival. Certain things that we've got to employ. Now, what I want to do today is I want to connect that with the experience side. I want you to quickly turn with me to Isaiah 6. You probably already know these verses. Maybe not verbatim for some of you, but you know these verses. You know this is the moment that Isaiah encounters God. I love this particular passage because this is going to give us, and jot this down, the evidence of revival. 
Not only do we have these moments when God's word gives us instruction about how to get there, what it looks like, uh, the instruction side, there's also these moments that you and I can go and reference time and time again when, when someone is really revived or there is a corporate meeting of people and we're able to look at that. In this particular case, it's a revival inside of the very heart of Isaiah. And these, these verses point us to the evidence. Be sure you jot that down. Now, I'm going to probably shake some of you off of your, um, well, maybe your little perch where you've always been when it comes to interpretation of Isaiah 6. I think many people believe Isaiah is just a young man walking through life. He happens to go to serve in the temple area. And uh, as he does, God sweeps him up into the heavens he goes up into the heavenly portal and he's able to see this divine vision. It changes his whole life. He surrenders to ministry, if you will, as a prophet of God. And from that point on, he moves forward and advances. And maybe there's many of you that believe that. And there are some scholars that do believe that. But there are more scholars that believe this is not God's, this is not Isaiah's original call to to prophethood, if you will, to, to ministry, that this is really a recommitment. This is a revival moment. What leads many to believe that? What leads your pastor to believe that? You know, some defining moments. King Uzziah has died. We have previous chapters written before this ever occurs, as if in the prophet is already at work, examining certain things. The first five chapters give us clear direction of all the things that Isaiah has witnessed in terms of a sinful nation. The Hebrew people slipping into traps, their leaders, he mentions a number of flaws in the leadership that's going on. And the king dies. I think it is prime territory for this moment. I love Isaiah 6, as many of you do. It's an incredible moment that you and I are able to see evidence of the experience of revival. I believe it's a renewal of call. It's a recommissioning of Isaiah. In fact, here's what God's word says in the year of King Uzziah that he died. And we can't pinpoint that. We think it's 736 on the early end, 742 on the back ends, somewhere in that window. But the Bible says, in that year, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim. These, each with these six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost, the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, the one of the seraphim, flew to me with a, a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the very tongs from the altar. And, and with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin now is what it's atoned for. And with it he touched my mouth and he said, 
See this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Well, that, that little pronoun there is key, us. And I said, here I am, send me. You know, one of the things that's a common thread when it comes to revival almost across the board, and let's jot this down together, true revival always seems to have a sense of repentance. The experience of revival almost with complete consistency across the board, true revival, there's almost always a sense of repentance. I saw the Lord. Now let's put our thinking caps on. You got your thinking caps on today? Seeing the Lord, coming face to face with the Lord is not always necessarily a good thing in biblical history. Do I hear an amen? Because we know in many cases, seeing the Lord causes instamatic, I'm listening, death. You remember Moses? up there creeping around the mountain. <laughs> that that incredible, just was able to see what? Kind of the essence of God. What, he was there, but I wasn't able to look upon him. I, I, I would have died if I looked upon him. And this is interesting because here is Isaiah and immediately as he starts to enter the Lord's presence, his response is, woe to me. Maybe because partly, come on, just from the physical side of things, hey, I, I don't think I'm ever going to come out of this alive. But also just the majestic nature of who God is. And it's no wonder that Isaiah is struck by his inadequacy, his unworthiness in the presence of God. And God's holiness is emphasized everywhere here, isn't it? Over and over. Holy, holy. There in verse 3. Holy. And then the word glory. And then the word almighty. We're able to see the essence of who God is. And it reminds us that really to be recommitted, to be revived, to have revival in our hearts, part of that is us coming to the place that we understand to be holy is to be totally other. To be holy is to be apart from all those things that have no place in our life. That's what the essence of repentance is all about. Maybe he was there in the Holy of Holies. He, he cites in verse 1, in the temple. This is an incredible moment. And I don't know about you, but I really appreciate Isaiah's confession. Did you see it back there? Verse number five, woe to me. First of all, he, he just acknowledges, hey, I am a man of unclean lips. Part of his confession is just the fact that what? I'm at a place that, hey, I, did, I need some cleansing. That's the big question for me about this revival effort, just being transparent with you. It would take a pretty mighty movement of God to shake the very foundation of some of our members. 
who although they would answer correctly on the multiple choice question, they are you a sinner, they would color in letter A, yes. But deep down in their hearts, I really don't think repentance is on their radar. I think it would take a monumental movement of God, and that's just what I'm asking him for. I think it would take a monumental of God, movement of God for a hundred and some odd people to raise almost $60,000 for a Lottie Moon, but we ask him for it. And this is the big unknown. Are we going to bring some people lost to these pews during the revival? You bet. But revival is about God's people. But the confession wasn't only about himself, but it was also, did you catch that? I am also what? Among. Did you see that in verse 5? I'm also among people of what? Unclean lips. He recognized there were some things that were off corporately. Some things weren't like they needed to be. Now, we can spend all of our time looking from this pew and saying, well, so-and-so needs to do it. They need it. They need it. I, I, just, I just suggest to you that this could be a tremendous message to us today in terms of balance and revival. We know, don't we, going in, there, that, that there's some things that God needs to do in our church corporately. We know that. But just as essential... God typically is going to do that work on an individual basis. And I'm just praying, Lord, start with me. Start here. I'm just anxious to see what God's going to do in these coming weeks. I'm anxious. I'm excited. My Lord's never let me down. What about you? Is there ever, ever been a time that the Lord let you down? Not me. I stand before you as a bona fide 110 percenter. My God's always been more than enough in my life. I've had some teachers let me down. Had some friends let me down. Had some pastors let me down. Had some deacons let me down. But my Lord's never let me down. And so I'm anxious and excited to see what he's going to do. You know, I was just thinking, every time people come into the real, genuine presence of God, isn't the reaction always the way Isaiah's reaction was? Whoa! Do you remember when we went through, and I'm so thankful, we got two couples in our church now that have attached to our church because they started watching us online when we were, when we were going through the book of Job. They said, we just love that teaching so much that we, we attend now. I love that. But anyway, when we were talking about Job, you remember about the mid part of Job? You know, Job went through all kinds of heartbreak, kids dying, all that, losing everything. I mean, I mean, it was sorrow at first, wasn't it? Then it was bitterness and hurt. His friends turned against him. His wife was, what? Curse God. You know, I mean, all that business. I mean, he was, but, but do you remember in the middle, the middle chapters of the book of Job, what happened? Old Job started what? Started prancing. Started talking to God about things like, if you'll ever show up, you ever make an appearance, I got some questions I'm going to ask you. 
You remember finally, you remember us getting to that point? We got over in Job chapter 42. And old God showed up. And I just remind you what Job's words when he came face to face with the almighty God's presence. You remember what Job said? Job says, I despise myself. Job went on to say, I repent in dust and ashes. Wow. You remember when old Peter came to that point of total brokenness? Oh, he had that moment of transfiguration. He went up there, incredible moment. The three, of, the three disciples with him. I mean, I mean, big eyes coming down. Jesus, hey, hey guys, don't be talking about this. Peter, you got a big mouth. Don't come down. We're not going to go down that mountain and you start blabbing about what you've seen. They get down there and Jesus starts teaching, you remember? And Jesus began to ask people, who do you say that, who do people say that I am? And, and he looks at Peter and says, who do you say that I am? And we thought that old Peter really had it at that moment, didn't we? You remember Peter's words? Incredible. For you're the Christ. You are the Christ, the very living God. And we thought, boy, he's got it. But I just remind you, months went by, and here was old Peter denying that he even knew him. And somewhere in that brokenness of the denial and the restoration that we have recorded at the very tail end of the book of John, when Jesus says, you love me, you love me, feed my sheep, you love me, feed my sheep. Somewhere in between those moments, we know that Peter was in one of those places that he was able just to completely say, I am a total, utter failure. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, total repentance for full restoration. Well, the evidence of the repentance. That's so very important. We've got to move on. The evidence of purification. Revival is about purification. Would you jot that down? There's no question about it. True revival will have an element of being purified. A purification. I mean, look at the text. It's, it's, it's incredible. When you get down to verse number 6, this seraphim flew with this coal in his hand. And again, he, it had been taken out of the tongs of the altar. And, 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 he, and he says, he touched my mouth with those singeing, that singeing fire from the altar. What, a, what an incredible moment. And Isaiah is aware of standing in the very presence of God and God's heavenly counsel. And by the way, the little, the little pronoun over there in verse 8 lets us know it wasn't God alone that he encountered. It was the heavenly hosts that were with God. We know there were at least some seraphim there, probably some angelic beings there. The us lets us, clues us in. It wasn't just God alone in the presence that, that he was in the presence of, but these heavenly hosts. And that's not anything unusual. Micah had that, didn't it? Didn't he? 1 Kings twenty-two nineteen. the Bible says, Micah saw the Lord sitting on the throne surrounded by these heavenly hosts, these heavenly attendants. And Isaiah knows that he has truly been confronted by the king, the Lord of hosts. We know that as we come out of verse number five. In that encounter by the holy God appropriately, humbled him. And Isaiah, though, really had nothing to fear because God was not there to kill him. 
God was there in his presence to forgive him. No need for an atoning sacrifice here because we have direct action from God. This is something God himself is doing. No need for an additional animal to be brought up for this repentance and this purification because God himself was doing that. It was the fire from the altar conveyed by the seraphs and that cleansing was more than enough. And Isaiah, look in verse six and seven, he is what? He's forgiven. Do you see at the end of verse seven, your guilt's taken away and your sin is atoned for. I pray for that. Because part of the purification process is the letting go, the guilt element beginning to diminish and new healing setting forth. When we have confidence that God has dealt with it and we've confessed it to him, that we're able to now move on, move forward. Man, I pray for that. Some are stuck back in the 70s and 80s. Let's move on. Others have had their feelings hurt in the last few years. Let's move on. Some are wrestling with some element in their life on a very personal and intimate basis. And I just pray that God will allow you to wrestle with that in his presence and that he'll deal with it in whatever way he chooses so that you can move on. Repentance, purification. And of all the things, this section of Scripture does not end the way that the reader would expect it to. What a surprise ending for us. So Isaiah pulls the curtain and walks out of that place of worship with God and he, and he goes out quiet and silent and humbled and, and, and that's how it ends. And there he goes into great service for the Lord. And then we have the little phrase, and he lived happily ever after. And I just suggest to you that true revival is a sense of being willing to serve. I put it in your notes this way, jot it down, a volunteering to serve. Isaiah volunteered to serve. You see, Isaiah's call, his recommissioning, if you will, comes not in the form, listen to me, of a command. It wasn't that God says, Isaiah, Thou shalt be my prophet. No, 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 no. His recommissioning, if you will, came in the form, did you get it, of a question. What? Some of these guys that are going to be preaching during revival are going to look down here at a group of students and say, would there be a student that God's calling, would you be willing to serve as a missionary. Is God calling you to that? They'll be beckoned by a question. Are there men and women in this group that God's calling to be their servants? You're being being called by a question. And of all things, we have this question. Look at it down there uh, in in verse number 8. I mean, it's an incredible moment. Then, Then I heard the Lord saying, Who? The Lord. Who? The Lord saying. Really, the Lord asking, whom shall I send? 
And then those remarkable words, and who will go for us? Who will go for these, myself and these heavenly hosts? Who will represent the seraphim? Who will represent the king of kings? Who will represent these angelic figures that are here with me today? Who will do that? And out of that question, overwhelmed by gratitude, that Isaiah sees now, I've been forgiven, I'm in God's exact presence, and I am going to live. Isaiah reaches down into his heart and has an answer. He cannot help but to respond. And he just simply says, here am I. Send me. What a difference between revival in the heart of Isaiah and revival in the heart of Jeremiah. When God called him, will you go? Who's going to go for me, Jeremiah? Jeremiah's initial response was, not me. What a difference in Isaiah and Moses. Moses, I'm going to have you be my my spokesperson. What are you saying? Lord, I've transgressed against you. I've killed. And I cannot speak. I stutter. But when God said in the very presence of Isaiah, well, who's going to go? Who will go represent us? Isaiah said, I will. Why don't you send me, Lord? You see, these three essence, these little concepts here, give us some really good direction. His enthusiasm, his positive response, no hesitation, no excuses, no contingencies, no what-ifs. And see, there's, there's two things about this revival effort that I've just been praying the most about. One of them I've already articulated to you. God, how are you going to deal with the members? And your pastor. But God, another question that I have a lot of questions about is desire. How much desire is there at Oakland Heights Baptist Church to see true revival break out? Desire translates into a cost, a sacrifice. And as I look at the life of Isaiah, he understood, didn't he? Here's an opportunity. He understood, I have some ability that God's given me, but he understood that that only translated into a desire. And so his response, we see it out of the very desire of his heart, I'm willing to go. More than willing. Notice it wasn't the Baptist response to the committee on committees. Well, have you asked Peggy? 
Did you call Bill? No, it wasn't that response. It was, Lord, here's me. Send me. What an informative moment. What is true revival? A meeting? An experience? True revival seems to be, from a biblical platform, a series of actions that God calls us to in which he'll have a response to and it seems to be that true revival typically has an element of responsiveness. It typically has these moments that God does something in a purifying way in hearts and lives and congregations. And it leaves us in a sense that we want to be people of, of doers. We want to. We desire to. We're moved to by the Holy Spirit of God. On the screen, I just want to lay out before, uh, for you before we close today, just uh, kind of the plan going forward in terms of revival. You'll get this week a large revival brochure that's going to arrive by chariot to your local mailbox. And I'm sure it'll have an Oakland Hot sticker on the side of it. And they're going to give you this packet of information. It's going to have all the information about the revival, the speakers, the times of the services. And uh, I just want you to know what's been going on behind the scenes and what will continue. And at the end, I just want to share with you what you can do. Because that seems to be the number one question right now. But hey, we're getting a sense now, our leadership is going all in here. You think? You think? In our Ignite preparation, you know that we've already had three messages that God used our, three of our staff members in a, in a special way. You know that we have small groups that are ongoing that are training our people. Has there been some resistance to that? Absolutely. Anytime a church gets out of kilter, there's always going to be resistance. Did you hear little Jared Gann the other day say, there's always one? Let me correct Jared Gann and say there's always a few. We got a few that told us, hey, we're not, we're not coming to revival. Now, some people are voting against revival. Hey, we can't do anything about that. But part of the revival effort is us being willing to share what? The gospel with others. God, here I am. Send me. And there's no need to send people if they're not equipped. They're not trained. And so there's a comfort level of training among ourselves. What is it? 96, 97% of all people that are part of a Southern Baptist church have never led personally one person to Christ. I want to hide in this moment to say that yes, I'm Southern Baptist. But man, we need to change that. Can I hear a baby amen from you? 
So we have the circles of evangelism and training going on. And then this weekend, to sit down around the round table and listen to one of the great authorities and person that has experienced incredible, God is used in a special way when it comes to prayer and revival. He'll take us even to some greater depths than we've been taken before. So excited about Greg being here and being a part. I, I, I first heard him personally at our state evangelism conference in New Mexico several years ago. I've been reading his books for years. But next weekend, he's going to be right across the street. Yeah, it's going to take us sacrificing our TV programs on Saturday night to come invest. Don't know where people want revival and have a great enough desire to do that. Again, all we can do is lay out the opportunity. That's the best that our leadership can do. Pray, take part, and hope that you have the same desire that we do. That weekend, incredible, next Sunday morning. And then the outreach that's going on. Many of you have already been contacted about being a pew captain. What's a pew captain? Well, we have an unusual set of circumstances. Even though the vaccination will be well circulated or much better than even is here in the next four or five weeks, our pew captain is going to make sure our pews are filled up, but filled up safely. If somebody have a mask on, they're going to have to mask up or leave. There's no other way to say that. We've got to protect people. <laughs> and if people are sitting too close together, our pew captains are going to help. They're going to coach us up. Hey, can you slide over a little bit right there? Good, perfect, thanks. Pew captains are those ones that do the front order runner work. Our deacons will take care of Saturday night. Our small group leaders will take care of Sunday night. Our church key leadership will take care of Monday night. So over here on one of these pews will be Michael and Becky Cook, actually two pews. And it's our job to make sure those two pews are filled as full as we can get them safely on that particular night of assignment. That's an important task. People need that accountability. They need the extra encouragement. They need to know that somebody loves them enough to, to, to encounter with them the opportunity to be in that service at that moment in a God-ordained moment of revival. It's very important. Maybe you're here and you haven't been contacted to do that, but you'd like to help. Man, I would contact Jamie Ryder, one of the ladies in the office, and say, I want to help. And don't take no for an answer. I want to help. Be incredible thing. Pew captains. There'll be calling going on in the middle of February. Our small group leaders and a group of callers will be calling our membership. There'll be mailing. One of the things I'm so excited, what, 35 or 40 of our people have already written daily devotionals for our whole church. Our membership has written those. Your second big mailing is going to be a complete devotional guide for morning and evening for about 12 straight days before the revival. You're going to see the picture and the devotional from people that you've gone to church with, that you've been in small group with, that have served on committees with, and they're sharing their heart about revival. And each morning, sometime in the morning, we're asking you to take three or four minutes. I know that's a huge sacrifice. Three or four minutes to read their thoughts on revival. But here maybe is the most important thing at the bottom there's some prayer prompts. 
And so if you're about to check a gauge out here off Highway 42 in an oil field truck, we're asking you just to open that up before you go over to the gauge, read that devotional, and just ask the Lord right there in that oil field truck next to the Sabine River, say, Lord, in about 10 days, we're going to have revival at our church. Now, Lord, I'm asking you to start with me. But we're asking you to do something special. Not just because we're asking, but because we're desperate. We're desperate for your presence. We're desperate to be recommitting our lives to true revival. Would you revive us? Would you instill in us a fresh desire to serve you and to share with others about who you are? The devotional guide will be a key, key element for us in mailing. And then visiting. I, at some point, our deacons were ordained. They were set aside for special tasks just like this. At some point, they knelt down, people put their hands on them, and, and, and they made a commitment to serve whatever local church they were in. Say, hey, we're going to do all the extra things. Whatever the staff, whatever the leadership of this church needs us to do, we're the guys that are calling to go over and beyond. Maybe some, have, maybe some have forgotten that moment of ordination. Maybe the board of directors kind of mentality sitting. I don't know. I don't think so. But led by your pastor, we're going to be going out six nights doing front porch visits. We're not going to go in anybody's house. Even if you have my favorite strawberry cheesecake, not going in. Now I ask you to bring it out on the porch and eat it. But we're just going to drop by and see some people and encourage them. In some cases, it'll be a welfare check. These incredible visits. Now, what can you do quickly? How can you help? Three or four things I want to share with you when we close. First of all, individually, in order for us to start well, I'm going to encourage us to attend this Ignite Our Hearts weekend this coming weekend. We need a good, fresh start. And then individually to prepare, especially with the devotional guide. So many have taken time to invest in that process. The least you and I can do is to read each one and to follow the prayer prompter and just see what God will do through that. And then, my goodness, individually, make February 20th, that's a Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Monday night a priority. Your attendance to be here is so very important. And what can you do corporately? What can you do to help your church? Well, one of the things you can do is be in the Revival Choir. I'm excited. Josh and I are going to be extending these risers all the way around. All the way around. One of the great music leaders in the country coming out of Florida, Jason Millsaps. He's phenomenal. He's going to be leading a big choir up here. Some of you can help us in that Revival Choir. And listen to Jason, I mean, and listen to Josh down here saying, "Come on, brother Mike. Come on, brother Mike." Would, would, I mean, would a couple of you be, resurrect those old younger days and say, "Hey, for three days we'll sing in the choir for a price." You can help us there. Men, we're going to have an incredible breakfast on Monday morning, February twenty second. Jeff Shreve at the First Baptist Texture Canada is going to be leading us 
He's going to do an amazing job. What a great opportunity, men, to bring your coworkers to this inspirational hour, 6.30 to 7.30, Monday, February 22nd, over in the center. Going to be incredible breakfast, incredible music, but incredible inspirational proclamation of God's word. Man, we need a movement of our men in our church. Our ladies here have led the way for years. Men, we need to start functioning as we need to function. As God calls us to be spiritual leaders. And then, invite and connect our community with the Ignite effort. You connecting with people that you can bring to the... Your influence will go places the pastor can't get to. Deacons can't reach. There'll be certain membership here that can't get to pockets that only you can get to. Places that only you can touch. You know the right button to push. You know the right time to call. You know the right way to approach it. Would you be willing to step up and help us bring that revival out into the community? And then finally, volunteering. Does that sound familiar? True revival seems to bring about an effort in the hearts of people to what? Take part and to do the physical and spiritual activities that we're called to do. Just a quick list of some of those. Can you help us run a computer? Can you help man or woman a camera? Can you be a pew captain? Can you be a greeter, security? We have a huge activity on Sunday afternoon for our student ministry. Can you, can, can you just reach out to Jared and say, Jared, hey, I can help during that two-hour period. How can I help? I can clean up. I can, I can transport. I can do anything. How can I help? Maybe you can help in one of our children's ministry areas. And so these are the things that you can do. I'm excited about the revival. I'm excited about what God may do in this place. You know, you and I have got to work together. Our church has got to work together. And really, coming together is just the beginning. You do understand, don't you, that keeping together is a process. But working together is success. And if you and I will work together, I think that we'll see some great things that God will do. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had today as we just set aside some time today to prepare for revival. Now, Lord, I just pray for desire. I know that this sanctuary and each of these revival services will be safer than Albertson's. It'll be safer than the nail salon. It'll be safer than ball games. It'll be safer than Home Depot. And so, Father, I just ask that you would first bring about a desire to bring our people together. I don't know what kind of attack that is. I just know that's not the way you intended it. So I just pray for your desire 
because we know that we'll do what we want to do. We'll take risk every single day where we want to take them. And so, Father, I pray for our desire and our hunger to be with God's people and under the authority of the teaching of your proclaimers of your word. Father, I pray that, that there'd be a willingness for all of us, every single one of us, to allow the word of God to put our entire lives under a microscope and to intensely examine every single element of our heart and our lives and then just to do what only you, Holy Spirit, can do and will do. Convict us, show us and demonstrate for us those areas that we need to be repentant in, that we need to confess about certain elements. And in fact, again, not only your forgiveness and your redeeming blood that forgives those sins is, is so essential, but Father, a new start and a fresh start following that is essential as well. And Father, finally, I just pray for those that do not know Christ. Across our nation, the last 10, 15 years, people have been exiting the churches across America and across the world in huge numbers. And it's not because their curiosity and interest, there's no more interest in you, God. It's because of their pushback against the organized church. And Father, it's only when we are the very followers that we need to be internally inside the church that we need to be much more of those that can attract and be welcoming to those in our community that do not know you. And then Father, help us know how to be firm in your word but yet not judgmental with it. How do we remain firm in your word, but not judgmental. So Father, as we sing, as we get ready to exit from this place, so much for us as a church to prepare for in the coming days. Crucial, crucial days. Much is at stake. And Father, we pray again that we will be the kingdom builders for your glory. And these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.